This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. In Genesis 1 and verse 1, Moses presents God in creation, saying, In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the uncaused cause. And this is one of many verses that teach us about the eternal nature of God. He is our eternal creator. And when Moses would later in Deuteronomy bless the children of Israel, he said, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. And Paul said that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead. So God has always been and he always will be. In fact, that's what his very name means when he reveals it to Moses in Exodus at, at the burning bush when Moses is asking, who shall I say sent me to this, to this people? And God said, you will tell them, I am sent you. I am that I am. Your Bible might say he is, but that's the meaning of Yahweh or Jehovah, that he, he is period, or I am, period. And throughout this study, in the people of God, we've seen that God in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, supplied his creatures with a perfect example for their lives. He came to this earth and lived a perfect life and then sacrificed himself as a perfect sacrifice so that he could also be the means of forgiveness when we fail. And he gives us requirements he gives us he's very clear about what his expectations are for a faithful life all over the pages of a new all over the pages of the new testament that um, we are mankind should be aiming at being a certain quality of person a certain kind of people that we would seek after him and find him and, and worship him and recognize our dependence upon him for absolutely everything and and reciprocate reciprocate his his love to us and glorify him right these are all the different ways not not exclusively all the different ways that god or exhaustively all the different ways that god calls us to live or or tells us what our purpose is but i think that's a good summation peter wrote to people when he was writing to christians he he described them as I'm writing to those who have obtained like precious faith with us or those who have the same faith as we do, basically. And he he said that they were given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust in second Peter one, the first four verses. And so God's great and precious promises reach far beyond this life and and earthly interests that are temporary and what the Bible is telling us to do. And what, what Peter is reminding us there is that we're, we're preparing for eternity. God is eternal and he created us with an eternal spirit. And what we do here is really just a prelude to an eternal destiny. It's just a, a preparation. If you want to call it that, that's what the Bible, in fact, that's what the Bible uses that, that word that as Paul says, the, Sufferings of this life are preparing us for glory, an eternal weight of glory. And so those who prove to be faithful in Scripture are promised heaven, life everlasting. 
so that, you know, we can be with the one that we ultimately desire to be with. And that is our creator who loves us and provides for us and wants what's best for us. And again, that's all over the pages of scripture, John three twelve through 16 and John six forty Romans 2, 7. And there's just so many passages. And even in these limited citations, the, you know, you find the resurrection of man, you find immortality is, is clearly taught and the, the eternal nature of these things. And Peter says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells in Second Peter 3.13. And over and over again, man's resurrection is linked with that of Christ. And First Corinthians 15, for example, and the destiny of the faithful is it's to always be with the Lord. First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. Paul is speaking to that church there who had some concern about, or they didn't have an idea about what what happened to their their loved ones, their their brethren who had died. Paul says there those who have fallen asleep, but that's what he's talking about. He's talking about death, and he says, "I don't want you to be unaware." And then he goes through an order of events and and what it's going to be like when the Lord returns and and ultimately the destiny of all of God's people is that they will always be with the Lord. And those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in faith already will return with him. It's a, it's an incredible thing to think about. And we are told that that God that that Jesus is at God's right hand in heaven in Mark 16:19 Ephesians 1:19 through 23. So to be so to be with the Lord then is to be in heaven. But what does that mean? And people have, I think, exhausted themselves in trying to um, understand or find descriptions of heaven. But the Bible offers us not very many. Um, it, it qualifies heaven more in terms of of uh, you know things we can understand and relate to as people. You know, streets of gold and and crystal and and gates of pearl and things like this. And so there's all this figurative language that's used to describe heaven to us. But if you read 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul is talking about being caught up to heaven, he says he saw things that he's not even able to put into words, that he, that man is forbidden to speak. And I don't know all of what that means, but you know, it the grasping the details is is just not for us yet because we it's beyond us it's beyond time and space and we're bound to that we're 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 incapable of grasping the details and so a literal description of heaven i think could couldn't bring any mental image to our minds um, because our perception is is just limited to this experience and it's uh if the scripture teaches anything is that it's heaven is a plane of existence that is just wholly unknown to us and so it can only be described in, in figurative, ter- figurative terms and language. Paul says, I'm, when he's talking about the, the man in Christ who 14 years ago um, saw these amazing things in heaven, he's, he's referring to himself in 2 Corinthians 12. And he says, I, he says, I don't know if this was in the body or out of the body. He was caught up to the third heaven. And he repeats that in verse 3 and then says how that he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for man to utter, to utter and so we can think about that and i think just be satisfied with that that you know the you know, here's an apostle of christ say this is you know you know this is beyond my limitations i can't i can't begin to describe it 
you know, in Luke 16, we get the parable-like account. I don't believe it's a parable. I think it's actual history because Jesus is using uh, the name of Abraham. And I don't. And in every other parable, he doesn't name specific individuals, but he does here. And so I, I take this as history in Luke 16 when the poor man Lazarus uh, dies and is taken to the afterlife by angels and is being comforted in, in Abraham's uh, bosom, it says there. And so it, in that description from Jesus in Luke chapter 16, he pictures this place where those who leave this life are divided. And one place is torment that's mentioned there that as he's, as Abraham is conversing with the rich man, he, the rich man describes himself as being in torment. Um, and he wasn't there simply because he was rich. You have to go back and read the account. It was, it was because um, that's what ruled his life. He was he was never faithful or righteous, and even though Lazarus was suffering greatly in in life, nevertheless he was uh, a man of faith. We must conclude, and therefore righteous before God, just as Abraham was. But Abraham describes this great uh, gulf or or impasse that is between these two individuals: the one who is suffering and the one who is being comforted. And I think the main point of the lesson is even here is not to describe in great detail what eternity is like but the point is is that if we want to be on the right side of eternity and and be comforted and um you know experience all the blessings that are going to be there we have to heed God's word in this life and that's exactly the conclusion that Abraham wants that man and us us to come to right because in that exchange the man who is in torment desperately wants Abraham to send Lazarus to his brothers who are still in the world, uh, who are still living, and and tell them to change so that they don't come to this place of torment. He says, like like he is, <clears throat> and Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets, and so Abraham is saying that basically they have the Bible. They need to hear what the Bible says, and then the man insists. No, they need to see someone rise from the dead. And if they do, then they'll believe. And, and Abraham answers, if they are not going to lis- listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe even if someone rises from the dead. And so that speaks to the sufficiency and the power of God's word that he has already confirmed with miracles and confirmed it to be true. Uh, we simply have to hear it and submit to it. Uh, so the point of that, even that, even there in that glimpse of, um, the, you know, the afterlife, the, the lesson for us is not to be enamored with the details of it, even though it's we can be assured that it's going to be wonderful, but to be to be ready whenever your time comes, so that you don't end up in the place of torment as the rich man did. John in Revelation describes again lots of a- aspects of heaven in very um, poetic and figurative language. And if, you know, we would remember that figurative style of writing that we sometimes see in Scripture and what's called apocalyptic literature or prophecy, um, in some cases we can learn about heaven still, and we can learn enough that we want to go there, that it is, we can understand enough that this is a place that we want to be. We're told that the faithful will come before the throne of God and, and serve Him, and there won't be a hunger, and there won't be a sadness, and there won't be pain or tears. 
Um, and God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and Christ will overcome evil. It'll be a, a, the, a place of final and ultimate victory, and there's no more death, and um, no more labor in the way that we think of it here in, in this life, Revelation 14, 11 through 13. And it's pictured as a place of reward, um, a, a city with God, um, and, and all this different kind of imagery. It's It's... The words that are used, are, I believe, are communicating to us that it's just a place of unimaginable beauty. And again, it can't be adequately described in our language. And the, the you know the best that we can hope for is just to use superlatives, you know, gold and, and pearl, and you know, and awesomeness and glory and things like this. And it's it's showing us that this is where we should want to be. It's it's desirable above everything else. In eternity, the true people of God dwell in a, a God-worthy setting. And we can't get our heads around that being in the presence of deity. But that's where the that's where the Bible lowers the curtain, so to speak. That that's there's no more to say. And uh because we, we you know we couldn't understand it. I think it's it it is heartbreaking to hear how people discuss generally discuss heaven as if all People from this life are, are going to heaven, despite what the Bible says. There was a sign at the entrance of a cemetery that read, Gateway to Glory. And, you know, I think that that speaks volumes to, to how most people conceive of, you know, the afterlife. It's just, it's one place, and, you know, so long as you weren't, you know, an Adolf Hitler or, you know, a serial killer or, you know, a rapist or something like this, you're going to... You know, you're going to glory. You're, you can go through the gateway of glory. But that is simply not what the Bible teaches. Um, you know, you don't see you don't see signs in cemetery that say something else. Gateway to torment. I've never found it. You know, could it be even that we invite the other destination by empty words and soothing assurance that, that come from well-meaning friends? We're just trying to practice good funeral etiquette, and we're we're not. We just need to be honest with ourselves about what Scripture is saying, regardless of how much we loved somebody. That does not affect their spiritual status before God. That He had expectations for them, just as He does for all people, and He expects all people to obey the gospel. And that's what He wants. In fact, Second Peter three nine says that's why He's waiting to return and. And judge the world is that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all people to come to repentance. He wants all people to come to repentance. So, unless I believe in in Christ and repent and and dedicate and devote myself to Him, then I I can't have any hope. And He Himself says that. And what He's reminding us of in places like Luke 16 and elsewhere is that there are, there are two very different destinations in eternity. And we need to take a long look at Scripture's teaching on that and a long look at ourselves. In Matthew 25, 46, you know, following the, the judgment scene there, you know, as you read through that, Verse 31, verse, you know, verse 46, Jesus says, All of these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Again, there's two destinations of equal duration. And it's both of those are taught by Jesus. 
the sovereignty of God is, is vindicated in final irrevocable judgment in 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be repaid for the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. And so nobody can reject God with impunity. Nobody can say no to God and expect that to be okay in eternity. He's made us free to say either yes or no to him, or else we would, we would just be robots and puppets. But he wants us to say yes. Right? Our, our words and our actions have moral value before him, and he weighs them. And he's telling us that heaven is prepared for those who say yes and who want to submit to him and, and glorify him and understand him more and, and grow closer to him. The grace and mercy of God make that possible. But the justice of God makes eternal punishment necessary for all who reject his invitation. And again, the, you know, the same revelation that tells us how wonderful heaven is going to be and, and says so much about heaven also tells us that the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, idolaters, liars, they shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death in Revelation 21.8. And we have to be careful, too, that we understand those words the way that Scripture defines them. For example, uh, you know, when Paul, when, excuse me, John is talking about the, the sexually immoral, uh, you know, what, what does that mean? The Bible has to define what that is. And it's it, it talks about extramarital intercourse and premarital intercourse or, or things like even um, petting and, and things like this or, or being impure. Even in our hearts, right? Jesus talks about lusting after a woman in in your own heart, and Jesus says that man's already committed adultery in his in his heart. And so, the Bible draws the line in places that might surprise us that you know that we may not expect. Uh, and yet, you know, the popular conception is you know you can be acceptable to God and still live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, and or still have a sexual relationship with someone that you're not married to. Uh, or a homosexual relationship, or you know any any number of things, and still be a, still be a quote good person. Well, again, let let the Bible define immorality for you. And Jesus put it simply: if if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. In John eight twenty four, I think He meant exactly what He said. And so in this. Study and as as we've looked at these various passages, we we want to see that the Bible is is calling us to consider these eternal destinies, and and as best we can see the reality of these. Despite what most of the religious world thinks, or secular world, or whatever the case may be, that a life of faith demands self denial, and it demands sacrifice, and it demands killing one's pride. And worldly ambitions, you know, with with genuine inner faith, we find peace that surpasses all understanding in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. And there's other blessings, certainly in in this life, that we can enjoy, um, you know, like a happier home and and the value of a a decent character and better uh, citizenship and all, and lots of social 
benefits, if you want to call them that, or temporal benefits. You know, we find a comfort in the family of God here and now. And there's so, you know, there's so many things that we can and should enjoy from God's hand in, in this life, and physical things in, included. But, but genuine disciples of Christ understand that the emphasis is upon the life to come. That was what he came to, to save us for. He wanted to save us from the wrath, wrath of God when the time comes to leave this earth and secure for us a home in heaven. And true people of God have no denominational or national organizations. The local church is their only collective activity. They're not looking for money. They don't have political goals. And they're not trying to feed the world. But they're truly concerned for the spiritual well-being of every individual. And they recognize their own spiritual weakness continually and they and they continually pray to God for forgiveness. And and as they do this, they look to the place that Christ has gone to prepare for them. And they, they eagerly wait for it. And they're in, live in anticipation of that. And the promise of Jesus that he would return and receive us to himself, that where he is, there we would be also. But until that time he's given us work to do. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, do we take that seriously? His charge to us to be faithful to Him and to die ourselves and to take up our crosses daily in pursuit of Him and His teaching. Or do we just think, well, so long as I'm, I'm a, quote, good person, however we define that, that I'll be okay in eternity. Because I, I can't find that teaching anywhere in the scripture. I'll read to you one more text and then uh, we'll conclude our study. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, All of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there's neither Jew nor Greek and slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, there's an, there's an ownership there. We must belong to him to be an heir of the promise and anticipate that great and wonderful home that he's prepared for us. It's on the basis of faith in him and faithful obedience to him. Is that how we're living? Between where we are now and having that hope of salvation, or even if we're if if we've already obeyed Christ and, and been baptized, as Paul says, so that we can be brought into his family, his church. If we've done that between where we are now and, and greater progress and greater knowledge of him and, and and greater obedience to him, between those two things is is self-examination. And so we have to do that, however painful it may be, look at the word of God and honestly compare our lives to it. 
and be honest with ourselves about the changes we need to make to be pleasing to Him. We should embrace that. He deserves nothing less. He's gone to great lengths to save us, and He's extended salvation to us, but it is our responsibility to make the choice to become one of His people. Appreciate you tuning in. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.